Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have a Species Spotlight episode coming at you, talking about a very cool species that we haven't really mentioned, other than maybe on one of our... Fun foods, yeah, fun seafood, seafood dishes. You, dishes. Have, you might not have tried or something. Um, we're talking about abalone, most particularly the green-lipped abalone. We are sitting down with Rob Jordan, who is the CEO of Rare Foods Australia, and he is going to be talking to us all about the different production methods that they use to raise abalone. And uh, there's some really interesting stuff about the market of this and kind of all the different things that you can do with both the meat, but also the shells and some other really cool kind of special projects that they're doing to diversify their business. So it's really cool conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to make sure that you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it will be automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want to stay in touch with us, you can do that by following us on Twitter at AquademiaPod or you can reach out to us on our contact form on our website, which can be found at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out. and We appreciate everybody that has already done that. So with that, please enjoy this conversation that we had with Rob and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Rob Jordan, who is the CEO of Rare Foods Australia. It's been a, it's taken a, quite some time for us to make this recording happen. We've had a lot of logistics we've had to figure out, but we're here. We are live, I guess, live recording. Rob, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I think, uh, as I said before, I'm 12 hours ahead of you in um, a completely different part of the world. I don't think we could actually be further away. Um, yeah, and uh, Yeah. Very pleased to be joining you all. Yeah, I guess it wasn't really in the budget to get the three of us on a plane to uh, to fly down there and meet with you in person. So this works. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about uh, Rare Foods Australia and more specifically, we're going to get into kind of the market and a little bit of the species uh, of abalone, which is just a delicious seafood. If anyone hasn't tried it, you definitely need to give it a shot. Rare Foods is doing some great things with abalone and I'm excited to talk about everything that you guys do. But before we get into that, I want to learn about you because our listeners have the right to know who they're hearing from. And I'm sure everyone is interested in your story. So, Rob, why don't you give us a little intro of who you are and how you got here? Yeah. Um, look, uh, for your listeners as well, I only tried abalone two and a half years ago when I joined the company. <laughs> and um, so I come from humble beginnings with abalone, but I'll tell you what I know. Um, I uh, have a business background. I was actually in agri-products in southwest Western Australia back in the late 80s, um, pioneering a dream in free-range free range poultry. And, uh, you know, that didn't, uh, like uh, all good learnings, that didn't go the way that was planned. I, I ended up in business improvement for the best part of 30 years, um, working up from the ground from a, a processing perspective to a, uh, a structure perspective to a strategy perspective. I um, Always thought I'd end up uh, back in the uh, mining industry and then through uh, uh, networks and connections, um, this uh, uh, this opportunity presented itself. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. I'm absolutely thrilled to, to be participating. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be back in um, 
in agri products in Southwest Western Australia. Fantastic. So when your team reached out to us, uh, they were really excited about some of the stuff that you all have been doing with abalone. And um, abalone is a species that we have not touched on on this. I think we may have touched on it in one of those like seafood dishes you may not have tried episodes or something like that. But um, this is actually one of my favorite. I first tried abalone when I was in college. My One of my professors had us over to his house for a big seafood dinner uh, at the end of a semester, and he made all different kinds of shellfish because it was a shellfish molluscan aquaculture class. So we tried everything. And this was definitely my one of my favorites of all the things that we tried. It's really good. Uh, abalone is a um, gastropod mollusk, uh, which means it crawls around on its belly, basically. And and from what I understand, Rob, I, I know that you are not um, like the biologist when it comes to abalone, but I'm sure you have an idea of kind of how, how these uh, are raised on the farms and stuff. And these are a, a fed species, uh, a fed molluscan species, correct? Well, yeah. Because um, that's different from a lot of the other species we've, we've talked about with, with mollusks. A lot of times, you know, they'll put out uh, mussels on ropes and then they kind of just let them grow because they're filter feeders. But um, abalone are different. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, look, I'll stand back contextually. There's, um, there's about 200,000 tons of abalone produced each year. And um, I think uh, 95, 96% of that uh, comes from uh, farms in China and, and Korea. Um, the rest uh, come from you know the southern hemisphere, the the South Africa's, the uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, Australia, the New Zealands, um, and some around your own coastlines. Um, those wild fisheries have uh, quite literally been overfished, uh, and um, you, you know so a lot of the cultivation has moved back to land. Um, we ourselves uh, um, in Australia, I think we um, produce a significant. Uh, amount of our species, uh, the green lip, on, on the land. Um, but to put all of this into uh, uh, a bit of context uh, around rare foods, um, if you used a wine analogy, um, that 200,000 tonnes is like a Lindemann's. It gives everybody a taste for um, what you described uh, as, as the product abalone. I personally had it two and a half years ago. Um, it's the most sensational dish I think I've ever tried. I, I had it sautéed in in chili and garlic. Um, you, mm. know, you know, trying to describe it to others is very difficult, but for me it was a bit like pork belly, but it kind of gave you an oomph. Um, the Asians say it's very good for the man. I'll leave your listeners to interpret what that actually means. <laughs> but um, to me it was uh, akin to, not that I've taken steroids, but it was akin to something that really gave you a boost. Um, the other, the um, the sashimi version and uh, um, the uh, uh, um, the the other versions, I like them all. But my favourite is is the sautéed. Um, the I think uh, that um, the comparison to pork belly is actually spot on. Well, as long as I, I was having a discussion with a few Western chefs over here, they struggle with uh, cooking abalone because it's got a very um, short window for a chef, and what they mean by that is Overcooking it is very easy to do, um, so they generally um, they they generally don't like to uh, to to deal with it on the a la carte Western menus. And and again, that's a bit like a learned behaviour. I think we've got uh, a fair bit of education around that in the Western world to do. It, it's a traditional Asian dish. They love it in the the, the dumplings and um, or as uh, 
or, or with the uh, the product that we've got uh, a big uh, centerpiece seafood uh, dish. So um, yeah, um, our abalone, the green lip, um, is akin to the Grange of the range. Um, there's only a thousand tons of green lip produced each year. Half of it comes out of the water. Half of it, as I said, comes off the uh, uh, the land-based uh, farms. Um, our innovation was replicating the wild green lip abalone. So for your listeners, um, those wild quotas have come down year on year for basically the last 20 years. Um, I think even last year there was a, a 7% reduction in the wild quota. Um, we now represent 25% of that wild quota. We got accredited as a wild fishery. Um, and our, I suppose, comparative advantage is that uh, we can scale up, we can produce more, and we're not curtailed by quotas. So uh, for our marketplace, if they get in our forward order book, they can be assured of two things, the quality of uh, the abalone and uh, also uh, their orders being fulfilled. Can you talk a little bit about that process? So I know you mentioned this as a fishery, but also as a land-based process. But can you, because you're doing the fisheries part of it, can you kind of walk, tell our listeners about what that process is or, and some of the innovations that you are doing that's probably different than other, place, other regions around the world? So um, in, in the wild fisheries, um, of course, um, you, you know, very um, glib understanding. They basically go and count the numbers that they have and uh, elaborate uh, on those numbers to determine how much they will allow the the fishing industry to take out. So those wild quotas have been going down and down year on, as I said before, to the point that um, the total allowable catch in some areas uh, in Australia now is zero. Um, Ironically, they call that a sustainable fisheries. Um, last, Last I looked, sustainable was both sides of the equation, both being able to fish and being able to grow. So in the wild, the abalone, when it spawns, produces millions of these little spats. And, um, you, you know, for them to actually land and uh, cultivate into to little abalone, I think I've heard quotes of one in a million. Um, and so, you, you know, when they're very small, I mean, they're literally specks of sand that they're almost impossible to count. So the uh, fisheries guys are only counting them at, say, kind of like your... Uh, um, you know, your quarter piece or your dime piece. Um, and, you know, that's when it's physically able to count. So, you know, watching that process actually unfold in the wild is nigh impossible. Um, on land, that uh, process is uh, artificially done. And uh, look, uh, 25, 30% of what's spawned, we can catch. Uh, they're put onto um, sheets like, uh, you, you know, two foot by one foot, uh, uh, sheets and the spats uh, are settled against there and, and when they're about a dime uh, in size we, we move that uh, small one and put them onto big concrete slabs where they grow out over a period of uh, uh, two years so that whole process is about three years um, at about uh, 15 months or, or halfway through that we take uh, what we call the juvenile abalone and we put it out onto an artificial reef and let it grow in its uh, um, in its natural environment in terms of the swell and what uh, Sean alluded to before, what it feeds on, which is uh, literally the seaweed. You, you know, as it's passing, um, the little guy pops up its shell, grabs the stuff that's going uh, going past, and then pops its shell uh, down. That that clamping down is its uh, its whole uh, um, protection. 
Um, the biggest uh, uh, issue we have is when we move the juvenile and we, we bring it about 500 kilometres up the coast and um, we put them in to uh, um, uh, uh, fishing uh, 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 boxes and we attach them against the artificial reef. Um, that process is uh, pretty, uh, um, uh, pretty threatening to uh, our juvenile abalone and um, then as it moves out onto the artificial reef that's when it's least protected and when it gets snapped off by uh, predators like octopus and turtles and little sharks. Um, so we're looking at ways to, to improve that process, but uh, it, it lives out on our artificial reef for about another uh, two to three years, about a year longer than, than the farms. And we grow a, uh, a replica, uh, a green lip, a wild green lip. Uh, we have divers who go down there and put them down and go down there and, and pick them up. And then we built a, uh, a processing facility, literally five minutes away from that reef on the pristine Augusta uh, Harbour, um, which is about uh, 300 kilometres uh, south of Perth. And um, we either do uh, three products, we either sell it, send it live, um, we shuck the meat or, or we freeze the uh, hole in shell and package that up. So we send one of uh, three products literally throughout the world. 75% uh, still going into uh, um, our uh, primary customer in Hong Kong, um, but uh, we are looking for what we call master distributors throughout the world. Uh, we're well down our pathway of uh, securing one in, in the United States, one in Canada, uh, one in the UK, um, and uh, for a couple of other species, we're, we're looking um, in alternative Asian companies, the uh, uh, the uh, Taiwan's uh, and Japan's and, and Vietnam. So, yeah, that's a bit of a summary of the process. Uh, can I help you any further on that? Woo. Well, <laughs> I, I am amazed at how long the process is. Like, of course, that makes sense because abalone is, from my limited knowledge of it, it's like a pretty large species and it seems like it needs to be fairly mature in order to harvest it. But I have to say I'm shocked that it takes years and years in order to like get the abalone to be that fullest maturity. Yeah, look, and um, we've been looking at the growth cycle of our species, uh, species the, the green lip, and um, we believe that two to three years underwater is its fastest uh, growing uh, cycle. Um, we believe um, we, we're still still capturing evidence. Um, what we've noticed in the last uh, 18 months is our abalone are getting larger and larger. Um, and this is a factor of a couple of things. We're giving them more space. So it's a factor of density, um, space, and of course, food source. We, we know our reef um, a lot better than when we originally placed uh, um, the uh, artificial reef down there uh, some eight years ago. We've just moved, uh, or in the process of moving, 20% of that reef into faster-growing areas, which, uh, you know, in layman's terms, is greater swell, greater food source, um, or, or the uh, the seaweeds coming through. So, yeah, look, uh, we're we're starting to understand a lot more about it. We know on the farm um, density and, and uh, space are akin to to growth rates. You know, clean water feed and space basically get those three things right um, you'll get uh, the best possible growth rates but yeah Maddie um, from spat to uh, um, the grow out on the farm you're looking at three years for the grow out uh, that we're dealing with you're looking at four four and a half five years so there's a lot of topics that I want to go a little bit further 
further into, but and so I'm going to stop you, Justin, if you get too much into the biology and the species. No, and I, <laughs> no, but but one of mine, one of, and I think I think you'll be able to answer this one. But why the green lip abalone? Is that the one that's the most commonly eaten by by us? Is is that or does that one just yield a higher meat content? Like, what's the reasoning? I look um, without a shadow of a doubt. It uh, as I said. Uh, using a wine analogy, it's the Grange of the Range. So out of that 200,000 tonnes that's consumed each year, only 1,000 tonnes is green lip. Only half of that 1,000 comes out of the ocean. Um, it is the best of the best, mate. It's uh, you, you, You're talking about a taste that uh, is hard to compare. And um, it, it is akin to uh, when you pick up one of those uh, boutique wines, you, you know you're mm -hmm. drinking something special. You know you're eating something special. Um, as I said, my favourite is uh, when it's shucked, tenderised, thinly sliced and sautéed. I don't think you'll eat anything better in your life. I have yet what? to try it, but I do want to. Sean, I'm going to interrupt you. Do, you'll so be doing handstands, mate. <laughs> Justin, you really, you really should try it. He's not. No, well, yeah, of course I'm going to have to now. Uh, so my, you kind of answered this, but it sounds like a lot of your product is being exported into china and hong kong but what other regions are you seeing this kind of i don't know if i would use the word taking off but where is this mostly going to be consumed where where's the your market it's traditionally an asian dish um and uh um yeah we don't sell anything to china um but our, our largest customer is in hong kong okay um we are targeting large asian communities in the western world um, and uh, we're doing it through what we call master distributors. So a master distributor to us is somebody who's going to forward order tonnage over the next uh, 12, 18 months. Um, to put that into context, we would get two or three wholesale inquiries every day. You, you know, can I have 150 kilos of this or 200 kilos of that? If I had to pack the 120 tons like that, I'd, I'd create a whole new organization, which quite frankly, um, it is uh, destined for disaster. So um, basically what we're doing, we, we, we funnel those wholesale inquiries back to the chosen master distributor who will have the cheapest product in the region purely and simply from a freight perspective. Yeah. And uh, they can take their opportunity to uh, put their margins on um, directly in their region. So as I said, 70 odd percent is going to Hong Kong. We've set up uh, our master distributor in the US and we're starting with uh, one in, in Canada as well. We've had a, a master distributor in the UK and for a couple of other species that uh, we also do through the wild court, we're uh, uh, pushing um, Vietnam, uh, 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 Taiwan and uh, uh, Japan. So um, that's our whole modus operandi. Again, to put that into context uh, for our wild green lip that comes off our uh, innovation um, we've basically forward sold this financial year and we've forward sold 75 percent of the next financial year so yeah well forward sold uh, we've got forward demand for it we we don't uh, set prices until um uh, uh, until the uh, actual order goes out because again from a demand tension perspective um we're highly sought after and uh, there's, uh, you, you know, the more that we've uh, created that master distributor strategy, the more um, we've uh, seen uh, that demand tension force prices up, quite frankly. Justin, you uh, you had a good train of thought. Nope, on, so someone else is going to have to go or it'll just be well, me and Rob. 
But it's it's one of those things. It's one of those episodes where we're gonna kind of jump around to a bunch of different things because our mind, like when we learn about something new like this, our minds just go in all different directions. And I missed a, a little chunk of the um, kind of production harvest discussion. So forgive me if if I'm kind of bringing back some stuff that we already talked about. But would you consider? Do you think you you would consider your production of this? ranching in a way well that's what we've called it yeah um, we had to we had to distinguish originally well the we had to uh, differentiate the naming from the on-land farms yeah, right, right. Um, but you, you got to remember the the whole genesis of this innovation was basically how we're going to replicate the uh the, the wild reef. quotas um because you you know it as it stands right now, if they continued on the pathway, you just wouldn't be able to touch the uh, uh, the wild side of the equation. And the reason that uh, I outlined the process, Maddie, you wouldn't be able to touch uh, touch that wild quota for five, six, seven years. You, you know, which uh, it is hardly a sustainable fishery. Um, but like you, you know, most human behaviour, there was uh, a lot of threat. Um, from this innovation, but what this innovation has actually proved is that you can do um, this sustainably. You can now scale it up, and um, for a planet that's uh, destined for nine billion people in the next ten years, you, you know this uh, um, innovation has uh, indicated a, a different way of, of talking about a sustainable wild fishery than has been spoken about before in this context so we're pretty excited about that i think you know when you take uh, um, this a step further what we're looking for is how do we grow the largest abalone the quickest is it on land is it uh, on the ranch or is it back in the wild quota space if we get into the third aspect of this we're dealing with public policy so, you, you know, um, but they've uh, all put up their hands to come along on the ride because, of course, if they don't, you, you know, you don't have to tell them what the impact is. They, they're, they're already living it. They've, they've literally closed down um, so-called sustainable fisheries. So what are some of the biggest, besides that, what are some of the biggest uh, challenges that, that Rare Foods faces in, this, in these production of these? To a certain extent in the Western world, um, especially in Australia, we're incentivized to innovate, um, but the uh, uh, the greatest challenge was actually um, we got the capital from the capital markets to uh, start this business, um, and uh, making this business cash flow positive and profitable is without a shadow of a doubt the greatest challenge. There's only so much patience with the capital markets um, right. to uh, sustain an innovation, and and yes, we get uh, uh, tax uh, credits and. and uh, refunds for uh, uh, indicating what we're innovating in, but still, you, you know, the market wants us to be cash flow positive and, and uh, profitable. So, look, that's uh, without a shadow of a doubt the number one challenge. Um, the second one was, you, you know, when I picked the business up two and a half years ago, it was called Ocean Grow and Abalone. We changed our name literally to Diversify and Grow. Um, you know, agri products 101. We're not going to ha we're not going to be reliant on one source of revenue, um, because if we if we are inevitably we'll have a bad hair day, and um, you, you know, I just you know, you, you look at the examples around one in seven years. Uh, you, you know, somebody somebody does something that uh, you, you, you've got to avoid. So we're looking at additional sources of revenue. Um, uh, to us, you, you know, it's got to be leveraging what we're good at. 
and uh, in summary we've got the only two aquaculture leases in the state that you can put aquaculture product on the ocean floor so that's a strength we've got a pristine state-of-the-art processing facility on a beautiful marina i'd say that was a strength mm -hmm. um we can put sales strategies together um, and uh, move product all around the world. I'd say that was the strength. So we're looking at how to leverage those. Um, the most obvious one to begin with was uh, bringing in the actual wild quota products. So there's two other types of abalone species in our in our region that then I wouldn't use the word inferior. They're just the second tier. Um, they're the uh, brown lip and uh, the row eye, mm -hmm. um, and we've been developing products for the marketplace in both of those and we use our processing facility and our sales and marketing channels to uh, to leverage those so when we go to the marketplace now to our master distributors we're rare product rare foods from the premium southwest selling a tier-based uh, quality abalone product that starts with the greens the, then the browns the row eyes and uh, the farmed products as well so you know that's been our initial moves and now we're looking at uh, products from the uh, premium southwest that will blend with us and uh, we're on the cusp of uh, trialing a few others yeah and a lot of these actually if you even just go to the product page on your website a lot of you can kind of see the different tiers and stuff here as well and something that i find interesting on here is you're not just selling the meat you're also using the shells and i think this is, might be something that people who maybe weren't familiar with abalone as a seafood may be actually more familiar with their the use of their shells. I know as a musician, I've seen guitars with like abalone shell inlays in the neck, in the fretboard and stuff. So like, you know, I think some people um, may, if they didn't know what abalone was, they may have recognized the name, like, because it's known for its gorgeous shell. What, is, what are some of the things that you are doing with the shells as well? Because I think that's a great other, like a great, like, extra kind of revenue source for you guys well yeah look uh, uh, and um, it's the modus operandi of our business you, you know we want to be able to use every aspect of what yeah. it is that well doing. there's a great species um, for that <laughs> yeah sustainably look the whole abalone can be used um the shell we, we're also exploring different uh, routes for the guts um the oil um out of the guts is uh, um, again a very sought after product capturing it and storing it is our challenge at the moment and the gut can be used from anything from uh, um, a pet food product to a, uh, um, you, you know, a, a bit like a stock seafood product. So we're, we're experimenting with, with how to do that. Um, we capture some incredible amount of it. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, you know, we, we're up to about one, one and a half tons a, a month of the gut. So we want to be able to find uh, a home for it. The shells, look, uh, um, the analogy I'd use for the shells is a bit like gold. Um, you, you know, this small percentage that everybody um, refers to used in jewellery is, uh, um, you, you know, very small. The big uh, um, uses for it, though, um, they crush it up and they use it in, in a concrete mix. It looks like a marble. Um, there's a, uh, um, a manufacturing company in, uh, in Japan that crushes it up, uses it with a resin to make hard hats. Oh, cool. um, so there's there's a plethora of uses for for, for the shells. Um, how we collect the shells and, and let's call it grade the shells in terms of sizes and state um, really depend on uh, the customer and the value that the customer sees in it. So we're going through that process a bit at the moment. Um, and, and the more we explore, um, the more we find uh, um, some left field uses for it. But yeah, literally every aspect of uh, every 
uh, a gram of this product can be used. That's fantastic. And that's something that we're seeing, hearing more and more about, especially, you know, the last couple episodes that I've done with our editor of our magazine, Jamie Wright, he's talked about companies participating in circular economies and trying to like, as as much usage of a product as possible, you know, whether you send the uh, the heads and frames or the guts out to be ground up and used as fertilizer, but like as much as you can use to keep every piece of that animal being used somehow within the economics of the industry is um, that's definitely like a hot topic right now. And I think, like I said, I think this species is great for that because it is a simple species and it has, you know, every part of it is actually useful. Like you said, Uh, you don't really need to explore too many uh, ideas to come up with ways to use uh, every part of this animal, which is pretty fantastic. And I think that's something that can be said for a lot of uh, molluscan species. Uh, same with oysters and clams and mussels. I, I think that's they're they're really good candidates for that circular economy type of um, type of thing. So very cool. I'm glad I I'm glad I brought that up. <laughs> Maddie, Justin, what do you got? What else? Uh, what else is going on in your heads about abalone and rare foods? I mean, I think we've almost touched on everything that I wanted to make sure that we covered with this episode. Um, I'm trying to think if there are some areas that I'd want some a little bit more detail, but I think, I mean, you talked about what you're currently doing and you also talked about what the future holds and the things that you're really starting to learn as you, as you grow and looking at new innovative ideas. I'm trying to think, Sean, what else, what else do you want to make sure we cover? I I just want to speculate a little bit about kind of, um, the future of the marketplace, the global marketplace for abalone, particularly green-lipped abalone, because it's a little more specified, a little more niche. You know, we don't see a lot of it here in, in the in the U.S., at least where we are. Uh, like you said, a lot of um, the Asian countries, it's it's much more popular. Where do you see the marketplace? Do you see it growing more globally? Do you see it kind of niching down a little bit in certain places? What is, if you were to speculate for the future in the next 10, 20, however many years, what do you think this marketplace is going to look like as it develops and evolves? Yeah, look, uh, um, again, speculation. Right, um, yeah, Speculation exactly. comes from uh, well-thought-out strategies, well-implemented. But um, I, I like, uh, I think I've got a few more grey hairs than most around the table, but I lived through that, uh, you know, the Chinese restaurants coming into the Western world in the 70s, then, you, you know, the, the Taiwanese coming in in the 80s, then the Vietnamese in the 90s. You know, you know that, that Asian cuisine mm-hmm. came to the Western world and, you know, to a certain extent, it's been westernized. It, it, it's not the same as, as you get in, in, in the Asian countries um, mm-hmm. uh, as such. I think abalone needs that same education. Um, as I said, uh, you, you know, some of the Western chefs I've talked to, they struggle with it because the cooking time's so so short um, mm. and how they build it into, say, an a la carte menu. But you talk to Asian chefs here, they know how to do it. Um, it I think it's, uh, we're, we're focused on two things we're, with, with our sales and marketing. One, as I said, is the mass distributor strategy, which is how to get the bulk to you, you know the current demand but we have a retail strategy we've just opened our own retail space uh, down on as i said the pristine augusta marina if your viewers don't know the southwest of western australia it is the most underdeveloped part of the western world left in the world um, you can walk on the most sensational white sand beaches for miles and see no one you will not get cleaner water in the world um, we've set up uh, we oversee um, the uh, or, or, uh, 
in the Augusta Marina, looking at what's known as uh, the two oceans, where the Indian Ocean meets the Southern Ocean, you can actually see that swell. You you won't get uh, um, you know an environment quite like it in the rest of the world. So we're inviting people down to understand about our innovations through tours. We also offer. Um, product and uh, soon to be product tastings and uh, uh, of course um, the, the traditional cafe service but we're, we're on a quest to do that with the master distributor strategy within the next year we'll be doing a regional strategy with the local chefs so we live in the Margaret River region which is one of the uh, most sought after wine regions on the planet as well um, and so uh, uh, retail wholesale uh, outlets are to, to, to die for and, and there's a lot of eateries so we're going to uh, help chefs understand how best to, to take this um, and use it in cuisine um, so I would hazard a guess Sean if we continue to do this over the next uh, uh, three to five years we'll be Australian wide you, you know abalone will be on the menu that's 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 our goal um, and once it's on the western menu here it, it will filtrate to the Western menu um, in uh, in North America and Europe. And uh, once that uh, uh, takes hold, um, there'll be a whole new demand for abalone. Um, and, uh, you, you know, again, we've got the best of the best. There'll always be a demand for the best of the best. That's true. Uh, what, uh, what wine should we be pairing with our abalone? Well, that's, uh, that's our next innovation. So uh, <laughs> about three years ago, um, we did a trial on ocean salad wine. As I said to you, we've got the only two ocean leases in the Western world, uh, in Western Australia, that can put um, aquaculture product on the ocean floor. So we took a couple of um, boutique wineries uh, um, and put their bottles on the ocean floor to replicate the maturation process using the ocean swell and the constant temperature, and it was great success. Um, uh, why do I say that? that is super Besides cool. <laughs> the fact that it tasted good, it was hugely alcoholic. Um, it sold. It sold at very good prices. Um, so we're in the process now of scaling up our ocean salad product. Um, and uh, the greatest constraint we see with that is how to tell the story in a 34 billion bottle marketplace. So that's what we're very focused on now. But it, it excuse the pun, it blends very well with our core product, both from a tasting perspective. Uh, Cuvée, by the way, is the um, answer to your original question. What's the best to t pair it with? Um, in my experience, um, but uh, yeah, we're going to uh, uh, the second uh, um, rare food we're we're bringing to bear is uh, ocean salad wine. So we're going to take the premium wines from the Margaret River region and sell them on the ocean floor. That is cool. That is really cool. I feel like that could be its own podcast episode. Oh just yeah, talking about that. That's totally. really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah, we've um, we, we're uh, in the midst of uh, partnering with a group in France, um, and, and they've. Uh, they use 500 litre vats um, that uh, is an innovation all of its own, but they've been looking for, we've got everything they want. We've got the divers, we've got the lease at the right depth, but what we've got that they don't have is a constant temperature. So up in the Mediterranean, they deal with five degrees to, to 25 degrees, and I'm using my metrics, not yours here, right? So mm. you're going to have to convert that for uh, your part of the world. <laughs> I can't quite do it. Um, We'll let our we listeners do that. Take care of that. Okay, good on you. We <laughs> we let the we we deal with about fourteen to sixteen degrees, and they are absolutely um, anxious to get hold of and trial with us what this will do to the ocean salad wine. But um, 
yeah, we uh, intend to scale this business up uh, in uh, September, October uh, this year. We've got about two and a half thousand boutique bottles down there at the moment. Um, they're not hard to to sell. Um, it, it really, you know, how are we going to cultivate the story and market um, the production is what we're working on right now. Actually, the production process isn't the complex side of this, but it's also an exciting part of it. Yeah, what a cool and unique way to diversify. I mean, so, so interesting. Maddie and Justin, if you don't have anything else, we can we can kind of wrap it up. You got something, Maddie? I have one final question, and that is we, we've probably touched on it at some point in this episode, but I would love to hear about what your specific favorite thing about working with Abalone is. My, my discipline's business, first and foremost. I, um, I, I can't believe that I'm back in agri-products in Western Australia. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much product agnostic. The fact that um, I... I love this. That this product is is neither here nor there. I um, I hadn't even tasted it before I um, got involved in the business. What really fascinated me, Maddie, was um, the fact uh, that they sold this concept to the marketplace and listed it, and um, that in anybody's uh, um, you know in anybody's imagination is the hardest thing in business to do, and they did it. Um, and now they've got something that, you know, without uh, um, getting on a bandwagon here, the world wants. You, you know, it's sustainable, it's scalable, and, um, you, you know, it, it uh, is environmentally friendly. Um, and even when you look at uh, the way we're thinking about the wine, the very least the wine's going to do is take the emissions, the on-land emissions that it costs to uh, mature a wine away because we're doing it in the ocean. Um, and it's that it's that whole thinking about uh, agri products that we've got a real opportunity here uh, to take advantage. But you, you know, the the other aspect for me, Maddie, was um, having been here 30 years ago. Western Australia produces the best products, agri products in the world, in my humble opinion, along with some of the best uh, um, mining minerals and commodities. But she's always been a price taker. Um, you know, because it's so good, they've never really gone and told the world the story about uh, what it's all about. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to sit down with you guys is we have to tell the world how good we are because we are, uh, you, you know, the amount of rare products we have in the premium Southwest uh, are to die for. So Abalone's not just it, besides the fact that every one of them is, uh, um, is very tasty and they're all good for you, right? This is all... This stuff is all good for you. You can, you can live on this stuff and uh, you'll be very fit and healthy. Um, so that's a long way of, around answering a, a very simple question. I mean, I love the product itself. I actually like the what they call the second tier product called the Roi. I prefer that one. It, it's a it, it's a probably a, a stronger um, kind of uh, uh, fishy taste, but uh, it, it uh, yeah, I, I particularly like that one. Um, they they're all they're all good, and uh, you, you know the product taste, the the the, the product uh, um, differentiation in some of the sauces, and you know canning the uh, the second tier products. You know they're they're very good in the the soups and and whatnot. But I, I particularly like the uh, sautéed or the uh, or the sashimi where you're you're actually eating that almost raw product. It's beautiful. Fantastic. Did I make you hungry? <laughs> 
I was hungry going it into this. It made me, yeah. Hungry and, <laughs> yeah, and, and I just had dinner and I'm already hungry again. So. <laughs> Sounds so It good. happens every episode almost. <laughs> so uh, before we close out and uh, we get your contact information and all that kind of stuff, is there anything else that you want to get out there, a message you want to send to our listeners before, uh, before we say goodbye? You kind of just did, but if there's anything else that you want to get out there. Not really. Um, just to reiterate, you know, rare foods from the premium Southwest Literally, as it's uh, said, rarefoods.com, you, you, you know, you'll find our website. Uh, um, we are going through the whole iteration of our ESG credentials uh, at the moment to, to tell that story a little more effectively. Because as I said, we know that everything we do is sustainable, environmentally friendly, but it's underpinned by scalable for a, mm-hmm. a, a 9 billion people marketplace. So. You know, to a certain extent, that's uh, that's that's our quest to innovate uh, uh, that opportunity for others. Fantastic! And if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you or have questions or want to learn more, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Look, if they go to our website, um, my contact details are there, um, and feel free. Um, I take phone calls and uh, uh, emails from people all the time. Um, we do um, respond all the time, so um, feel free. Um, We'll get back to you. Fantastic. We'll make it super easy for our listeners. We'll put all of that information in your website right on the show notes for this episode. That's right. Yeah, please do. I mean, my my mobile number and my email address are public. Um, you, you know, overtly push them out there for your listeners. And if they want to get in touch, I'll do my best to uh, like with yourselves if they want to talk. Um, we'll have to find that uh, <laughs> appropriate 12-hour time frame difference. But uh, emails, no problem. I'll get to them. Fantastic. Yeah, if we do another uh, 8 p.m. recording, we're going to be doing some wine tasting yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I think we think we need to, for sure. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Pleasure. All right, folks, that was our conversation with Rob Jordan of Rare Foods Australia. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. And I hope if you haven't tried abalone yet, you go out and try it because it's super delicious and a really cool animal. And good for you. Yeah. Just Lots some of benefits. Really, really cool cool uh, things came out of that conversation. I'm really glad we were able to pull this together. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode drops, it will be automatically downloaded onto your device. And if you'd like to stay in touch with us, you can do that on Twitter by following us at Aquademia Pod or reach out to us on our website, globalseafood.org slash podcast. Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. And if you'd like to take your support to the next level, then we encourage you to become a member of the Global Seafood Alliance. You can get a variety of benefits by becoming a member, but also you're supporting our work here at the podcast. So you can learn more about membership on our website, globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.